0: This is exactly right. There have been studies that have talked about children of divorce are more adaptable because they needed to be. And I think there's a lot of value in being able to cope and adapt. You know, that's another benefit that people can derive from divorce. And I'm not saying that would be the reason you do it, but I am saying mm-hmm. that, you know, these, there are perks to the whole situation um, that could be beneficial to your children.
1: Welcome to the Parent Footprint Podcast with Dr. Dan. I am Dr. Dan, your host, and let me tell you about our mission at Parent Footprint. That mission is to make the world a more loving and compassionate place, one parent and one child at a time. We believe the key to raising happy, healthy, and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives, happiness, health, and engagement. We believe that awareness is the foundation for your vision of successful parenting. And with increased awareness and intention, we can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint on our children. Today's show is called How Parents Can Talk to Their Children About Divorce. And I'm excited to introduce you to our guest, Jacqueline Newman. Jacqueline is the managing partner at the matrimonial Law firm, Berkman, Botker, Newman, and Shine in Manhattan. She, pr- her practice consists of litigation, collaborative law, and mediation, and she specializes in complex, high-net-worth matrimonial cases and also negotiating prenuptial agreements. She is the author of her new book, The New Rules of Divorce, 12 Secrets of Protecting Your Wealth, Health, and Happiness. And get this, Oprah says, this is one of the best divorce books to help you heal during every stage of the process. Jacqueline has been on a number of news shows as an expert, including NBC, Fox Business, ABC, CBS, the New York Times, um, New York Post, and a whole bunch of other highly esteemed publications. And with that, Jacqueline, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks so much for having me.
1: So, Let's start with your road to becoming an attorney and having this specialty.
0: So, believe it or not, it's odd of it sounds. I've always wanted to be a divorce attorney um, since like junior high, and the joke is that no one there's no divorce in my family until you go like five degrees out. Wow! But my parents are both psychotherapists, and so the big family joke was that I was too aggressive to be an attorney. I mean, to be a therapist. <laughs> So kind of a matrimonial attorney seemed like the next best thing. Um, and I've loved it. I've put all my eggs in one basket. I focused on it in college, focused it on law, law school. And, you know, luckily I found the right people and I've been doing it for the last 20 years. I've never done anything else. And I love it.
1: You knew you, you, you had your calling and, and I find it interesting. Um, I, I have to ask this question. What, what is it like being raised by two mental health professionals? <laughs>
0: well i the thing i tell people a lot is i was allowed to keep my room as messy as i wanted because my parents said i was expressing myself they would just close the door and it was my it was my space and suffice it to say it was covered and closed like good like 80 percent of the time but you know
1: <laughs> yeah well so you you had you had uh something they did for you is allow you to be who you who you were
0: absolutely no my parents are great
1: so okay so i have to ask about conflict um a lot of times us mental health types actually aren't all that great with conflict. And I know from my legal experiences as expert witness and such, like that is not comfortable for me. And so knowing that a lot of attorneys that I do know are really comfortable with conflict. So how do you you see conflict in, in, in your work? So,
0: you know, conflict, I mean, look, can I say it's the most comfortable thing in the world? No, it's not. That said, I really see conflict as an opportunity for discussion and an opportunity for people to be able to see different views. Because, you know, if everybody's agreeing all the time, then you're always on the same page. But you know what? Sometimes you can grow a lot from a conflict, especially if you handle it in the right way. You know, when I'm having a disagreement with someone, I'm open to hearing what their view is. It may change my view. It may not, but at least it's going to open my perspective. And you know what? In the future, when I'm in another situation that may be similar to that, I'm going to be able to kind of hear that other person's view in my mind. And again, may or may not agree, but it's always a learning experience. So I see conflict as something that you can really grow from if you approach it in the right way.
1: And has your perspective changed how you approach conflict and settlement and negotiation? I mean, I imagine over the plus 20 years that you've been doing this, I'm just interested in, in what you've seen and learned from all of your experience.
0: Oh, absolutely. I think as I've gotten older and more comfortable in my skin and have been doing this for a long time, um, you know, I am much more comfortable with conflict, but I also don't let it phase me in the way that it did. Like when I was a, you know, a young lawyer and just starting out, um, I definitely would write like these fiery letters and I'd get all defensive. And if someone said something to me, I'd feel the need to prove myself right all the time. And, you know, all of those things that you do when you're a little bit less secure. And now, you know, if someone starts yelling at me, you know, I say just because you say it loud doesn't make it more right. Or if somebody, you know, writes me a nasty letter, like I skim the whole thing. And the only thing I say, oh, so they want to pick up the kids at 630 and not 645. Like, you know, for me, I don't get phrased at this point. I mean, it takes a lot to kind of rattle me. Um, Maybe I've become, you know, jaded to it all. But I don't see, I don't view conflict and I don't view all of this in the same way that I definitely did when I was younger. I mean, now Mm -hmm. I've kind of gotten to a point where I'm comfortable enough. I actually see it somewhat, you know, depending on how you handle the conflict, if you're screaming and yelling and carrying on. I actually see that as a sign of insecurity. Like you feel a need to put on a show, that means that you don't have enough substance behind Mm -hmm. what you're actually Mm -hmm. saying.
1: And I think that uh, I agree with that, and that's far-reaching, just uh, across all of our areas of life. Right? How much of a show do we need to put on based on our inner confidence and uh, or insecurity? So as we record this show, we are in the midst of COVID nineteen, and many of us. us on the West Coast, you on the East Coast, um, have been sheltered in place in some capacity for some time now. Um, for us, it's been about a month. And um, and I know that uh, your area has been hit really hard. Um, so I'd like us to talk about divorce and divorce rates and the process, both with a... Um, a deep dive, and then a broad, a broad slice. So what I mean by that is, what has the divorce rate been? Has it changed? And what are we going to see or are we seeing with these unprecedented living circumstances we're all in? So
0: historically, divorce rates, you know, you hear they're 50%. That's not a hundred percent true. It's kind of like a rounding. Um, generally actually they've been a little bit lower of late, and part of the reason I think of that is first of all, a lot less people are getting married. They do a lot of the Goldie Hawn, Kurt Russell kind of thing. And I think that you have a lot of people in different types of relationships. So that I really think so the divorce rate is lower, but I don't know if you know, people breaking up in their relationships. I think the definition of relationship had changed a lot. That said, you know, from a prediction going forward, you know, if other countries are any indication in just, you know, seeing what's going on. I mean, I think divorce rates are going to skyrocket after, you know, we're all kind of allowed out of our home. Um, and part of the reason being is that we are living in a very unnatural way. And I think that marriages that were kind of on the brink, this is going to definitely be something that is going to push them over the edge. So, you know, we're getting a lot of phone calls from people that are basically, you know, looking to explore their options because, you know, the, the circumstances are so difficult you know and my advice to them really is like just stop and think for a second like you know i understand obviously we're all living in incredibly stressful unprecedented times you know i have a lot of people that say well what did you do and you know when this happened you know something a situation like this i was like there's never been a situation like mm-hmm. this like this mm-hmm. is really you know unknown and you know my point to people a lot is like i want you to just sit and breathe for a second because i wouldn't say what's going on right now is an indication of what your future is going to be um you know because i think that people you know some people are behaving you know really well and i think that this could be strengthening some relationships definitely and some family dynamics there's a lot of positives in it but some people are not handling it as well and i think that you know in these kinds of stress it doesn't necessarily mean that your whole marriage is doomed because things were fine before and now they're not that said I think, you know, unfortunately, domestic violence has increased. There's been a lot of circumstances that have put people in a position that really should be moving forward with divorce, um, you know, once this is over.
1: Yeah, and for all of those reasons, um, hoping that people can get space from people who were, they're not, when they're in an unsafe and unhealthy um, situation, and of course, as our focus is on parenting on this show and raising healthy people, and the undeniable negative impact it has on kids when parents have high conflict and, of course, violence as well.
0: 100%. I mean, one of the things actually, you know, and especially this is a good platform to talk about this, you know, given the audience of your show, is that something that I think is going on in this COVID experience that people are not giving enough attention to. Are their children. And when I say that, I mean that, you know, parents, you know, obviously this is a stressful time for everyone. And adults, you know, no one knows when it's going to end. No one knows what it's going to mean. You're watching your, you know, your assets drop in the market. You have job instability. You know, you have people working from home. You know, I mean, you have children that are homeschooled. I mean, there are so many reasons why this is a really difficult, stressful situation. However, I feel like people, you know, when I say people, I'm saying parents, a lot of them are so caught in where they are right now because they're so scared and all these things make a lot of sense. But I feel like the stability that they need to show to their children, I am seeing, unfortunately, that people are not doing as, as, as well as they should mm-hmm. because as scared as adults are, just imagine what children are going through. Children need routine. They need structure. Their structures and routines are completely out of whack. Mm-hmm. And they have parents that they're watching who are stressed out and don't have answers for them, which you know is understandable because there are no answers right now. But I think that you know a lot of people are forgetting how incredibly scary this is for children, and I think that there just has to be a lot more attention paid to children and providing them with as much structure, as much um, foundation as you can, and as much love and support. Mm-hmm. You know, and unfortunately, in my field, I am having a lot of people that are using this opportunity to disrupt custody agreements. I have people that, you know, legitimately or not are, you know, withholding children from their other parents because, you know, they're scared of the COVID virus or they're keeping kids, you know, outside of New York City because they have houses in the Hamptons and all sorts of things are happening. And I think it's, you know, while I could see arguments sort of for both, I think that what this is doing is taking a child who's already, you know, uplifted from their lives and now possibly cutting out the access to the other parent, which is just even worse. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. you know, my attitude is you can never have too much love for a child and support for a child. And I feel like this is the time more than ever that parents have to really kind of put their own personal gripes aside and do everything they can to let their children get through this experience as unscathed as possible.
1: I so appreciate you making that point. And again, you—I mean—we are in unprecedented stressful times. And then, folks going through uh, divorce and high conflict divorce, we know that it—it just adds a whole level of stress. And people go into the process uh, or coming out of the process often very different than when they came. They went into it, and you know, we when we look at how kids, how important parents are in kids' lives, it's it—it goes back to when kids fall. What do they do? They look at us to decide whether they should cry, be scared, be hurt, or they should just say no big deal and move on. They're, all, they're always looking to us. And they are looking at us and our behavior and our fear and our worry and our um, out-of-control behavior, perhaps, when we really need to show them stability and, you know what, it's going to be okay, we're going to figure this out even when we don't have all the answers, like, like we have to provide the sense of security during this totally unfathomable surreal time we're living in. And again, to your point, it's to have the added stress of divorce, but I'm also thinking there's probably a difference in your clientele and in your work between regular divorce and high conflict divorce as well in this situation.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, and I will say, you know, some parents, I actually have a case right now where I would have considered this case very high conflict, but for whatever reason, these people are actually coming together um, and really getting on the same page. I mean, it's it's mind-boggling to watch because these people couldn't agree what day it was. And now, because they have, you know, just, they're both rising to the occasion and the way that they're handling this whole COVID situation and handling you know, the access to their children and locations. They both have you know, one, as I said, is outside the city, one's inside the city. And I really think this is actually going to put us in a position that when this is all over, we're going to be able to settle the custody aspects of their divorce. And, you know, I just, it's, it's one of those opportunities that wouldn't have occurred otherwise. I don't think these people could have kind of gotten past mm-hmm. themselves before but they really have united when it comes to their children. So I think that, you know, there are certain things, you know, there are some people that are kind of coming together, but, you know, as you said, yes, there are a lot of people that are, you know, are not. And when you have regular divorce, as you say, and, and high conflict, you know, unfortunately I have other cases where, you know, what was a regular divorce has now become a high conflict.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, since we're focused on you know healthy parent equals healthy child, what do people like? What, how has the divorce landscape changed over the years, and what do people need to be aware of when they take this step?
0: So you know we're going to kind of talk in a, in a non COVID time, but even in a COVID time, I mean one of the things I talk a lot about in my book is you know about how things have changed and how people really need to be aware of the change. And one of the biggest changes that you know it's interesting what's happening before the covid situation and i think it's going to accelerate even greatly because of the covid situation is the role that fathers have played are playing now in their children's lives so back in the day you know a father would get every other weekend and wednesday night dinners like that was kind of your standard thing that is not the case anymore more and more i have now fathers that are coming to my office they want 50-50 custody and i say great you know and and we're seeing more and more of these parenting arrangements where you know, fathers are very involved in the day-to-day child raising. And, you know, and that's a shift. And when you have a mother who, let's say, you know, has sacrificed her career and is home with the children full-time, it is a very hard pill for them to swallow. And it's something that, you know, I highlight a lot in my book. And I really want women and men to know this um, because this is how courts are looking at it. Like, we're not fully at the place where a court would say, you know, why shouldn't it be 50-50? But we're very close. And I think that, you know, and it will be interesting because now that, you know, fathers who may have been more in the workforce and not involved in the day-to-day schooling and, and child-rearing activities, being now sitting in a home with their child for one month, two months, however long this is going to be, um, is really going to engage them much more so in the daily, you know, knowing what's going on in school being more involved in everything. And I think that that's going, my guess is that custody is going to change so drastically and the custody asks are going to change drastically because after this, they know they can do it. Now they have these relationships, like all sorts of things are forming that would never have formed in you know, normal circumstances. So I think even more so we're going to be dealing with a lot more fathers that are going to be asking for 50, 50 time, or maybe even more, who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's going to have a major shift on custody
1: does that change the actual process of uh, of how parents enter the situation? Or is it more about for people to have different expectations perhaps going in?
0: You know, I think it's a little bit of both. Definitely expectations. From a process standpoint, I mean, you know, a lot of people don't get divorced because of the kids. You hear that all the time. And, you know, and a lot of... And if I'm being, I'm being sexist and making these statements, obviously this can, you know, switch. But if you have... You know, very often you'll have a father that, you know, is not home um, you know, as often as he wants to be and works late nights and travels, et cetera, and doesn't want to get divorced because, you know, as you know, many of my clients have said, like I don't want to not sleep under the roof with my same roof with my children. Um and they're scared that if they get divorced, they won't have time with their children and all of that. And as I said, it's because the courts are shifting and because I do think after this courts are gonna shift even, you know, further. Um, I think that they will, the process will be different because I think that people will be looking to get divorced. They will, they'll be looking to, they won't allow the idea that they won't see their children to be the reason why they don't get divorced in the same way that they may have before.
1: hmm So when y- you have a chapter that is focused on self-care and As you know, a continuing theme, as we're going to keep talking about, is healthy parent, healthy child. And not healthy parent, it makes it really hard for a child. So what do you recommend to folks about self-care as they embark on this divorce process?
0: Well, I mean, the the title to the chapter, and I think it really, you know, I was kind of excited when I came up with this one, is you need to put on your own oxygen mask first. Self-care is key. And I really believe that. And, you know, and, you know, and I say like anytime I'm on an airplane, which now probably won't be for a while, but anytime I'm on an airplane and I hear them talk about, make sure you put your own mask on first, because my gut would be to put my mask on my child first. It wouldn't even... Every time I hear it, I always think to myself how counterintuitive that feels to me, because I would always want to do my children first. But they're 100% right. Because if I'm not breathing, I'm not going to be able to function to take care of my children. And I think that that same theory applies so much to divorce, so much to many things, you know, as a whole. Like, I do agree with you, healthy parent, healthy child, Um, but especially during divorce because, you know, during divorce, you know, people become narcissistic on some level. They just do. You know, their lives are crumbling. They have, you know, fears, anxieties, you know, stresses, all sorts of things going on. And it's, it's, you know, you can get lost in that. And, you know, and if I ask anyone who comes into my office, you know, what's your main concern? 99% of the time they say the children. You know, I just need to make sure my children are okay. I need to make sure my own money comes in too. I don't want to pretend it doesn't. So 99 might've been a little high, but conceptually I say 90% of the time, you know, it's all about taking care of my children. And, you know, they say that, but then when they're going through the divorce and they're, you know, whispering pretty loud to their friends and their kids are in the next room, you know, cursing at their spouse or whatever it is they're doing, like kids are incredibly perceptive. They know what's going on. So, You need to make sure that you are putting yourself in a healthy, good spot and being aware of what you're going through and and taking care of it in order to be in the healthy spot for your children. When I say taking care of it, so I'm a big advocate of people being in therapy when they're going
2: through a divorce, Mm -hmm.
0: big advocate of, you know, people creating their own identities. I mean, that's something else I talk about in the book. And I think it is really important because what happens a lot when you have a parent that has dedicated their lives to the children, to their children and do not have outside activities, whether it be, you know, charitable work, a job, you know, good friendship groups, support groups, whatever it is. Like, I always say, like, if your only identity is so-and-so's parent or so-and-so's spouse, you know, you need to have identities that are not tied to somebody else because that's very, very important. And it's important for many things. I mean, even just specifically speaking, you know, you're now going to have your child maybe half of the time. And, you know, what are you going to do in that dead time when your children aren't with you when, you know, this is, they have been your main, main focus. And I think that that's a really important thing. You need to fill that time with things that better you as a person. I always say like, you know, take another language, you know, read your favorite book, do the hobby. You know, if you, you know, if you are working, you know, you know, work for that big promotion, like do whatever it is you need to do that makes you happy and makes you fulfilled. Mm -hmm. Because when you're able to do that and create that element a sort of separation from your children on some level from an identity standpoint, it will help. It will help make you a stronger person to be in the best position to parent your children. Because if everything is tied to your children, it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure on that relationship with your children. It's a lot of pressure on you. And some of children can feel the pressure on them. You know, a lot of kids will adopt in a divorce perspective, the feeling of needing to take care of the parent that they see to be the weaker parent, the hurt parent, whatever it is. Kids shouldn't be doing that. Kids should be kids. They should not be involved in taking care of their parents. And so I yeah, think that all yeah. of this, like you need to take care of you, mm-hmm. so you can be in the best position to take care of them.
1: Yeah, and and that helps. I mean, like you said, everyone wants the best for their kids, and this is the number one thing that parents can do for their kids: is engage in their own lives and model that for their kids. Because when it, you know, we always think about some somewhere over the years. It's become about quantity of time instead of quality of time. And parents, you know, went from spending not as much time with their kids to spending a ton of time with their kids. You know, we talk about dads and moms at every soccer game and coaching every event on every field trip. Like it didn't used to be that way. And with that quantity, I think what gets missed is that our kids develop a secure attachment of to us, and to themselves when they feel secure in the world. And they feel secure in the world when their parents are doing okay, and their parents have good relationships, and their parents have places they like to go, and they see their parents exercise, and they see their parents um, say, sorry, I need to do this for myself right now, um, but I will get back to you. Like That is actually healthy. And so, I know that for many of us, when we are stressed out when we are dealing with depression, we're dealing with anxiety, dealing with divorce, high conflict divorce. If you can think about your child needs you to do this for you, you know sometimes we need to have our kids as that reason that you need to focus on you for your child. And it's the number one thing that you can do for not only their health, but your own health as well.
0: I absolutely agree. And I think that It does, in the divorce process, that message does get lost. And part of the reason it gets lost is because, you know, even just Matt, you know, from a financial standpoint, when they calculate child support, you know, they'll calculate who has more days, who has more overnights. I mean, that's part of how you determine, at least in New York, partially how you determine who's to receive child support. So that kind of feeds into it. I think that, you know, when you're in the court, you know, when you're under the court's eyes, I always say you're living your life under a microscope. And so, yeah, you have to go to all the games. and You have to do this. and You have to put on this, you know, kind of show, sort of. Um, you know, and, and one of the biggest gripes you always hear is that, oh, well, all of a sudden, you know, so-and-so is so involved when they weren't before, you know? And it, it, and it feeds into the conflict. It feeds into the issues that go on between the parents. And again, I mean, you know, the other thing that I say all the time, beyond taking care of you, you need to, as best as you can, rise above the petty and really be able to co-parent with, you know, that other, your child's you know, other parents, because that is also, I mean, you know, you have to recognize that just because someone is a bad spouse does not make them a bad parent. And it's very hard for people to make that difference because they're so hurt. But it is one of the worst things you can do is to bad mouth the other spouse, to alienate the other spouse, doing all of that and tying your children into your world, to talk to your children about the divorce, talk to your children about the spouse. I mean, all of that is so bad for your kids even though you want them to understand why you're so angry you feel the need to justify yourself but you really can't. I talk a lot about that in the book because I think it's just such an important message
1: it, it is so and let's go there right now in terms of what are the don'ts about talking to our kids about divorce and what are the things that parents should be thinking about having conversations in, in what vein
0: I mean you know when we talk about the don'ts You know, I am a big advocate of I would rather you give your children less information, at least at this point, unless you two are totally on the same page and united, then more. And again, you know, it's sort of a general statement because it depends a lot on the age of the children. It depends on a lot of different things. But conceptually speaking, you know, I think that, you know, it's hard because when you do have children that are older, you know, you also don't want to be lying to them. And this is always the big debate because if your kid says to you, let's say your kid's 12 or, you know, 11, 12, 13, like old enough to sort of know what's going on, but young enough, probably not to process it 100%. So your, your child, you know, sees the two parents fighting, sees them, you know, whatever, picking up on things, has a friend whose parents got divorced and heard it started this way. And they turn to you and they say, no, are you and daddy, or are you and mommy getting divorced? So if you say no, then, you know, you calm your child because let's say you don't know exactly what's happening or you know you are, but you're not there yet or you don't have a parenting plan in place, whatever it is. You say no, so fine, the kid feels fine. And then two or three weeks later or a month later, you say, oh, by the way, we're getting divorced. Now your child feels they've been lied to and it, you know, it causes a huge issue there. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, if you say, you know what? You know, mommy and I are, are thinking about, yeah, we are getting divorced, but you have no plan for them. Then that causes an enormous amount of anxiety in these children. You know, one of the things that we deal with first, when someone says they want to get divorced, one of the very first thing we deal with is custody and parenting agreements, because for me, your kids, you know, kids are also very narcissistic and by nature. Mm -hmm. And so they just want to, they want to know how this is going to affect them. You know, like that's the first thing they're going to want to know. They want to know where they're going to live. They want to know, you know, is their pet going to come with them? They want to know, am I getting two birthday parties? They're going to want to know all the things that relate to them at first. And, you know, when I'm a big believer that when you have this conversation with your children, have those answers for them. Because it kind of goes back to what we were talking about, even with COVID and everything else. Your kids need security. They need stability, structure, and security. And you as the parents, as best as you can, want to be able to provide that for them, especially when you're about to tell them something that in their world is going to shatter because they live in a very small world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I, I always joke, like when you have a parent that like drops the kid off at a bus stop and then as they're waiting, they always think like, you know, I say this in the book too, like, how, you know, how much fighting can you do? You sat at the bus stop all day waiting for me because that's all they see, you know? It's only, you know, their world, you're just mom or dad. You don't have worlds outside of them, Um, you know, when they're, especially when they're very young. And, you know, and I think, as we were saying before, it's important for them to see that you do once they obviously get a little older. But my point being, though, is that I think it's very important to settle access schedules. And when I say access and parenting schedules, as soon as possible, so you can tell the children This is where you're going to live. This is when you're going to be with mommy. This is going to be with daddy. It's going to be great. You know all the positive, positive, positive. You know we love you so much. This is obviously nothing that you did. This is just mommy and daddy love each other and we love you. But we realize we're happy you're not being together. Like whatever your you know kind of speech is going to be. But I also am a big advocate of saying it together. Right. Do not have that speech separately Mm -hmm. and do not cast blame, Mm -hmm. you know, no matter. And I know how hard that can be, especially if one person ended the marriage and the other person's very hurt by it, especially if they didn't do it in the right way. All these things can be very, very difficult to sit and bite your tongue sitting next to each other saying, well, we've made this decision together. But you need to do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is so incredibly important. You know, and one thing I'd also like to know—it's just—and I know this is about children, children, but you know, even adult children, like children all over the place, do not should not be tied into your marriage. And and you know, people like feel like, well, when you're a teenager, you're 18 or 17, whatever it is, you're old enough to absorb it. You should know what's really going on. No. Right. <laughs> They're still children, and you need to. And people do that all the time because they all of a sudden feel that the child's old enough to absorb. To be able to process it. And they feel the need to explain. You know, they don't want to be the bad parent, especially if, you know, mom or dad left the house, even if mom or dad did something. But yes, they're the ones, they don't want to get blamed for it.
1: So, so I'm, so yeah. So I'm, so I'm hearing, I'm hearing, um, be aligned and do it together. Don't blame. Have your parent, have your agreements mostly resolved. Um, in order to be able to, to give them some concrete example, uh, answers to the questions they have about where am I gonna be? Who am I gonna live with? Um, and the messaging to stay on, we both care about you, we both love you. And um, is it that our family is just gonna look different? Like, like, how is that, that messaging continue?
0: Yeah. I mean, that could be, you know, definitely that that's one of them. I mean, there's a lot of different, you know, spins on this and it really depends on what you're most comfortable with. And, you know, and I bring in a lot of times like parenting coaches into my cases for parents to go and meet with this person and really kind of sometimes script it like verbatim. Mm -hmm. Um, I think having a parenting coach is really important. You know, parenting coordinators, parenting coaches, all of that. To be honest, they're also less expensive than I am. So you might as well work with people that do this all day long. Mm But yeah, I think family is going to be different. We're still a family. Um, you know, I think that, again, you want to just let them know it's going to be okay. It's going to be different. And that's true. But different isn't always bad. You know? And you know, it's okay to have change. And you know, a lot of people will say, you know, especially depending, again, on the age of the children, you know, one of the big skills you can teach your child is how to be adaptable. And adaptable to change. And, you know, and again, this COVID thing, you know, when I try to see silver linings in it, one of them is that children are learn- having to learn how to be creative
2: mm-hmm. and how to be adaptable. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I think that there's a lot of value in that because, if anything, we're learning now that life is not as predictable as you think it mm-hmm. is. And so, you know, people need to have coping mechanisms. And, you know, it's like kind of when you let your baby, you know, cry themselves to sleep at some point and learn how to self-soothe, I think there's value in that.
1: So, yeah, you know, and you've. Yeah,
0: t- I think these
1: are yeah, and you've talked about you. You mentioned to try to avoid getting the situation where a child's going to say, "Well, you lied to me." So the thing that I have seen a lot over the years is so the age of the child. So of course, when we have a younger child, it's easier to be very um, direct, um, very to be um, broad strokes, um, very aligned. When you have these older kids, these astute kids, these perceptive kids that know something's awry, know that there was something been going on in the relationship or know that this is not a mutual decision, that is really tough because parents are then in a situation of like what we're saying is keep the party line, but a child, an older child will know that it's disingenuous at some point. Can you speak to that situation?
0: I mean, I can tell you it's really hard. <laughs> it's a true, true challenge. Um, you know, again, and this is not because of what my parents do for a living, but, you know, I am a big advocate of therapy and, and children having their person, mm-hmm. especially when they're going through a divorce process. And so if the children are already in therapy, you know, I really advocate speaking to the therapist before having the conversation with the child so you'll know the best language to use for these kids. Like some kids can take it, you know, and some kids, can't. Mm -mm. And you need to kind of have a sense of your child. Sense and you know, sometimes you may think your kid can take it when they can't. So again, if you have a therapist or somebody that they are, you know, able to speak to in a way that they may not be able to speak to their parents, that's always a positive. For sure. If you don't have that, um I think it's super challenging. I think that, you know, you can do your best to not lie, but say things like, you know, and again if we're dealing with teenage type children, say to them, Listen, mommy and daddy are working things out. We're not a hundred percent sure how this is gonna fall out. But the one thing that we are a hundred percent sure of is that you're gonna be okay. You're our number one priority, and we're gonna make sure that no matter whatever decisions are made, you're gonna have security and you know, we're gonna have a plan that works for you because you're our number one
2: priority. Mm -hmm.
0: And I think that, you know, it's not the greatest answer in the world. It feels a little political and they may or may not leave it alone and they may push. And you can say, you know, look, you can also have some vulnerabilities if you truly feel like you can't say something to your child or are uncomfortable and saying, I don't have all the answers right now, but I'm going to.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And when I do, I'm going to talk to you about it. You know, and that, you know, again, it's great if you actually can figure things out before that, but if your kids, you know, stop you, you know, on the street, and basically are like, all right, what's going on? Right. And you don't feel, you don't want to, you know, lie to them and stuff, then you can say things like that. But it's all about making them know that they're their number one priorities and that you are going to give them security Mm -hmm. because that's truly what the underlying message question is. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. you have to do that as best as you can.
1: And just like all parenting, um, we're going to make mistakes and we do not get the manual. And um, most people who go through divorce are going through it for the the first time with their kids. Um, And so it's, we have to be kind to ourselves too. I think that's really important. And, you know, you prepare, you have your kid's best, um, you have your, your best intentions, your kid's interest in mind. You've done preparation, and still all you can do is the best you can. And there's no way of predicting how your child may act in the moment or may act a month later. So it is about adapting. Um, and, and this brings me to um, the whole idea of the research and the experience of, well, can kids actually be... Better off? Can things go, everyone be healthier once divorce happens, as opposed to this old idea that we need to stay together for the kids?
0: So I think they can. Um, And, you know, and again, I'm not pro divorce. Like, you know, just to kind of throw it out there, like I'm very, you know, when someone comes to my office, one of the first things I say is, Are you sure you want to get divorced? And they hesitate for a millisecond. I say, Go see a therapist. Don't be here unless you're sure. That said, I do believe um, very much, and again, there's a chapter in the book that talks to this, that many children can be much better off in, you know, after a divorce. And for, you know, the reasons behind that is that, you know, if you're living, if you're growing up in a home where, first of all, if there's, obviously, if there's any physical violence, that is just, you know, that automatically is role modeling a behavior that is going to be a cycle. And we all know about the cycle of violence and all of that. So that's, that's a definite, like, obvious one. But, you know, more often than not, you have people that, you know, it's just a loveless marriage. There's not abuse. There's not, you know, screaming in the home. But there's just no, it's loveless. And, you know, and people say, well, that's better then I might. If it's a loveless marriage, then I might as well stay in it because then at least the kids, you know, are okay. And I always say, like, stop for a second because, again, you're the role models of what a relationship should be. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. your kids are watching this marriage and they're saying, this is what I want when I grow up because this is what I know. And do you want your child to be in a loveless marriage? Like I say to clients, like, I want you to think about, you know, your son or your daughter and think, how would I feel as a parent if my child was in the same marriage that I'm in? And if they say that would make me miserable to think my child's living their lives this way, then I say, okay, think about that. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. because that's what you're doing. You are teaching them this. And so I think that that, I think it's really important That children, you know, if children see their parents in separate homes, but happy homes, and they see their parents be happy people, I think that that is better role modeling and better for your children than living together and not being happy.
1: So important. I mean, it's so important what you're saying, Jacqueline, is that we are teaching our kids how to be adults, how to be in relationships, how to, what kind of um, feelings to have about work. Uh, to have about extracurriculars, to have about money, like we 're teaching them everything, and even when they don 't like some of it, we all know that we do inherit uh, from a nature and nurture uh, a point of view. Our parents' behaviors and ideas and values—like it just—we it, 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 unconsciously absorb them. So, yet yeah, your point: um, living together in a loveless marriage, or someone observing their parents being in love and enjoying life and smiling and having excitement—that makes a difference. And you know that is consistent with all of the research for decades when it came to comes to child adjustment um, and wellness, it was based on not whether parents are together or apart. It was the degree of their relationship conflict and how well or not the parents got along.
0: No, absolutely. And, and I think that that is important. And you know, it also goes back to adaptability. I mean, there have been studies that have talked about children of divorce are more adaptable you know because they needed to be and i think that there's you know and again this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier and i think there's a lot of value in being able to cope and adapt so i think that, you know that's another benefit that people can derive from you know divorce and things like that and i'm not saying that would be the reason you do it but i am saying mm-hmm. that you know these there are perks to the whole situation um, that could be beneficial to your children
1: so if you have one thing to recommend to parents who Are in about to or are in the divorce process? What is one recommendation if there was only one thing they had the capacity to focus on right now?
0: I mean, it's a great question. You know, I feel like I have a few, so it's hard to narrow it to just one. But if I was going to say just one, it's really being, you know, thinking about your children and being as present for your children as you can be and recognizing that the actions, you know, kind of taking a step back from the emotions that you're feeling at the moment and taking a step back and thinking about how this is going to impact my child and how I'm going to move forward with it. And, you know, especially when you're going through the divorce and you're fighting about every little tiny thing, it's kind of like step back. You know, one thing I say, and this kind of ties into this is, you know, a lot of times, especially when, you know, you have people that are going to war and you're just, you know, just really being awful to each other. I say, how do you want your children, your your children, 10, 20 twenty years, thirty years from now, to describe their parents' divorce?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Do you want your children to say, oh my God, they were at full war with each other and I was caught in the middle and it was awful and you know, I and just all these horrible, horrible memories? Or do you want them to say, you know what? I know my parents went through a divorce, they kept me out of it, and at the end of the day, I knew they both loved me, and that was really all I cared about. And that's what you think about. Like what is there going to be their description? Because you can dictate what their future narrative is. And I
1: think it's really important. So well said. I love that question too. Looking back, how do you want them to see this process? Okay, Jacqueline, it is time for the parent footprint moment question. Tell us about a time when you became aware of yourself as a person or as a parent and that new awareness had a positive impact on your child.
0: So it's something that happened fairly recently. And, um, and it kind of goes back to what we were just talking about. So I had gotten, I was with my daughter and I was driving, you know, very slowly, like right outside of my block. And, you know, I had a blind spot and I had gotten into a, like a very slight fender bender. Like my car was fine. It was like, just like a bump. Mm-hmm. And it was one of those things that was completely my mistake. Like, you know, like I was, I was going the back, whatever it was, totally my error. And it was one of those things like in the moment, I realized I made a complete mistake. It was totally my fault. And, you know, and I turned to my child who, you know, at this moment in her life, she thinks that everything I do is perfect and holds me on this great pedestal. And I know I've got only a small blip of time that that's going to happen, but that's where she is right now. And I turned to her, I was like, that was a hundred percent my mistake. That was completely, I, that was, I should not have been doing what I was doing. And that was my error. And at first, like, you know, I almost got defensive on my, like in my own head and that, you know, mm-hmm. five seconds of time. I was gonna like make an excuse for it and say it was their fault that they parked their car outside. Like I was all ready to take blame and you know defer it and say, oh, well, why would they do that? And they know there's a blind curve and all this stuff. But you know what? It wasn't their fault. I mean, they shouldn't have parked where they did. And that's true. But it was my fault. And I saw it as an opportunity for my daughter to see I make mistakes. I own the mistake. When the woman came out, I started right away being like, I am a hundred percent sorry. A hundred percent liable. Like,
2: wow. tell me what I owe wow. you. You know,
0: I mean, it was totally my fault but i was so glad in a weird way that my child saw that entire exchange and i was really proud of myself Mm -hmm. to not blame anyone else to take responsibility and let my child see it And i was also very calm you know i didn't get excited and so i was also i felt like it was like such a teaching moment for myself to say you know what keep it in check and recognize this was your error, and let your daughter see that you make mistakes and then also for her to see it and i even used it later i said save like i recognize like that was my mistake. And I make mistakes and I owned it. And, and instead, I said, I'm proud of myself for owning it. I was going to get defensive and I didn't because you know what? It was my it was my, you know, my screw up, period. And so it was really, I felt like it was a very good moment for all of us. I mean, it wasn't great because I had to pay for this car, <laughs> but conceptually speaking. Yeah it was a very good parenting
1: that moment. was an amazing parenting moment that is awesome i mean and to because our natural reaction particularly in those kind of situations is like to blame i mean it's just like we, we're psych- yeah. psychologically protecting ourselves and then we have to yeah so well done yeah. well done and yeah. your child got yeah. Yeah, it, it yeah. definitely
0: goes up there yeah.
1: <laughs> all right you get you do get a trophy for that one um uh, thank you. so jacqueline tell everyone i mean for the to, to check out your book um that new the new rules of divorce 12 secrets of protecting your wealth health and happiness and for oprah to give this a huge shout out i mean that is that's huge yeah i was pretty excited <laughs> so tell everyone where they can find it and continue to follow your work
0: Sure. So, The New Rules of Divorce can be found on Amazon, you can buy it at com. Um pretty much where books are sold. In regards to uh, you know, following us, you can go to nycdivorcelawyer.com.
1: Straight and simple right there. nycdivorcelawyer.com. Yeah. How'd you get that one? That's a great that's a great domain name right there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, thank you for the work you're doing and thank you for um just the focus on kids and the focus on parents being aware of who they are in this process and in their own life. And of course, that's so aligned with what we do at Parent Footprint. So thank you for sharing your knowledge and experience with us this morning. That oh, was my pleasure. Nice speaking with you. All right, everyone. That is a wrap for another show. Remember, always try to be the person you want your child to become remember they are always watching and you are always teaching check us out at www.parentfootprint.com subscribe to the podcast tell your friends join us in the mission to make the world a more loving and compassionate place one parent and one child at a time and as always ask yourself the guiding question what footprint do you want to leave